I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Songbook, the White Rabbit podcast all about books about music. I'm Jude Rogers, journalist, broadcaster and author of the recently published White Rabbit book, The Sound of Being Human, How Music Shapes Our Lives. Today's guest is someone I interviewed earlier this year and absolutely loved, so I was desperate to get her on. I first encountered her music in the mid-2000s, like many people of the dial-up internet generation, enjoying the so-called psychedelic folk revival of that time, but be warned, under no circumstances, call today's guest a folk musician. She'll have your arm off. Um, she doesn't sing traditional songs, nor does she collect songs, although she did collect a lot of other stuff on her two-year trip from London to the Outer Hebrides in a horse-drawn cart in the late 1960s. She also made an album painting a picture of those days uh, called Just Another Diamond Day. Although, as her recently published memoir called Wayward reveals, it was an idealised version, an attempt to reconnect with childhood innocence and simpler ways of being. The album disappeared soon after it was released, but became a cult item, and its reissue set off a new chapter in her life in the 21st century. She's since released two other albums. She's also been on international tours since, and of course written her book, which she first began in the 1990s. I'm delighted to introduce you to author, singer-songwriter, and by no means at all, folk musician, not a folk musician, Vashti Bunyan. Hi Vashti, and welcome to Songbook. Are you pleased I've got that straight? Thank you so much, thank you. <laughs> How are you today? Where are you, Vashti? I'm fine. I'm in Edinburgh. Uh, it's slightly dull. I think it's probably a lot wetter than it is where you are. Um, it's not fair. I look at the 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 map of, of the weather and there's always a cloud over here and there's brilliant sunshine where you are. <laughs> Why do I live here? <laughs> oh, I'm very sorry. Hopefully the clouds will part this afternoon after we've spoken. Um, so. Um, so we'll be talking about um, another memoir of an artist whose career began in the early 1960s today. But tell us about the long journey of writing your memoir kind of um, in a couple of minutes, because as I said in the intro, you began it a long time ago. I did. I, I began it in about 1998 or so. Um, I wanted to write the story of the, the horse-drawn journey uh, for my kids because other people had written it for me and uh, I just wanted to get it right for them without um, horrifying them. <laughs> <laughs> Were they horrified? No, no, they, they love it. They, they're, they're, they're really loving it. But uh, yeah, it took me a long time to figure out how to portray the different people in the book. And uh, with a lot of help and a, a lawyer or two, <laughs> <laughs> you know how it is. Um, I think I, I, I got it just about right for, for most people. Did you ever write, you know, like that before in long form? No, 
no, never, never. In fact, I was, I was just thinking the other day when I was at art school um, in, in the mid-60s, uh, I had to write in an exam about anatomy and I hadn't written anything since I'd left school. And suddenly there I was in, with a bit of paper in front of me having to write something and I couldn't. I just, I walked out. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't, couldn't write anymore and I haven't until until this apart from writing songs and that's a very different thing altogether um I know when we spoke um when I interviewed you for the Guardian earlier the year you know you said about some of the writing the book was hard what was hard about it 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 was hard just deciding how to how to portray people I think um and and remembering wasn't hard I, I still got it all all in there, and it's very clear. But some of the some of the sad bits, I suppose, were hard, um, and I didn't want to make it too sad. I wanted to make it uh, something that people would want to keep turning the pages, you know, rather than be be upset by. So, uh, yeah, that that was the hard bit. Just choosing which bits to use and which bit, to, how much to leave out, that was mm. hard as well. What came out of that, obviously, is this is your wonderful book, you know, and a very surprising book. Um, you know, kind of um, that idea of, you know, Vashti Bunyan, you know, hippie goddess is very much changed mm. by this book. Um, you know, the trauma you went through, the difficulties and also the rebelliousness of you. Um, but we'll come into that a bit later when we're talking about um, today's book. Um, before I get on to my questions, I ask everybody, are you a big reader? Ah, uh, well, No. <laughs> it's okay with us allowed I'm I'm really not uh, I have to confess Um, there have been books that have meant a lot to me in my life and probably I read them for a year you know over and over and over Mm. again I'm not a voracious reader in any way my older sister has rooms full of books she's read everything everything and remembers everything and uh when I told her that I'd been reading this book for you, the Marianne book, and I said, I'm actually enjoying reading a book. <laughs> she said, how are we in the same family? <laughs> oh, so have I started this love of reading for you? This is <laughs> how we <laughs> I know. Well, I, I always thought that she she lived her life in, in, in books and stories, and, mm. and I really didn't. Um, and I don't know why. I don't know what made the big difference between us. But I, I have a lot of books with bookmarks, maybe a few pages in, you know, where I, I, it was too affecting. I couldn't I couldn't deal. Same with this one coming up. Oh, I'm looking forward to talking about it. <laughs> so let's um, have my rapid fire questions before we start. So okay. who was the first musical artist that you loved? That I loved, that I loved was... Uh, Ernest Luff, the choir boy, who recorded Over the Wings of a Dove in 1927. And the, the purest voice ever. And I just wanted to be him. I just wanted to be him. Probably because my dad wanted me to be a boy. But, you know, <laughs> I just loved that voice. And the other one, which isn't strictly a, a musician, a musical artist, was... 
was Tubby the Tuber. I don't know if you've ever come across that. <laughs> yes. Danny Kaye's version of the story of Tubby the Tuber and the way he sings it and the way, oh, it's just such a beautiful story. And I loved Tubby the Tuber himself. Uh, and at the end, he, he get, when everything has come right for him after a terrible time, oh, said Tubby, how happy I am. And that gets me every time. <laughs> <laughs> so, it. yes, okay, a choir boy and Tubby the Tuber. Fantastic, brilliant. Um, <laughs> who was the first writer about music that you loved? Now, you, you've already confessed you're, you're not a big reader. So, have there not been a any big reader, writers? but um, well, the first one that was, that was quite big in my life was um, Bert Whedon's Play in a Day, which was. A, an instruction book for the guitar. Ah. It was written in 1957. But I've heard so many musicians actually refer to it that that was their first introduction to the guitar. And it's the most brilliant, brilliant book. And yes, certainly that was, I, I did love it. I did love it. And it helped. Got you started. And was that the first music book you loved as well? Yes. Yeah. I don't remember anything before that. That was probably when I was about, I was 18. I was 18. Nice. Fantastic. Yeah. And now on to today's book. Now, Vashti, I suggested this to you a few months ago yes. because it was a book I loved when I read it and I thought it might be interesting to you given the period in which it is set and some of the people involved in it. It was published by Michael Joseph Books in 1994 and it's about a woman seen more often than not as a face of the 60s or as an accessory to men in the 1960s, rather than as a singer or an artist in her own right. Um, obviously, she's got an amazing, you know, backstory, as people say. Her British father was a spy, her Austro-Hungarian mother, Eva, a baroness, and a great niece of the writer of Venus Umpelt, Venus in Furs, details that were leapt upon when the subject of this book became a star in the mid-1960s. Um, she was discovered, as people used to say, such a horrible <laughs> verb, um, by the Rolling Stones manager, Andrew Luke Olden, and given a song to sing written by Mick Jagger and Keith Richards called As Tears Go By. Of course, Vashti, you also had a brief pop career before your jaunt to the Outer Hebrides with connections to this story, which we'll talk about at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, the time um, of... The subject of this book, In the Pop Limelight, was brief and then the tough times would begin for her, or more tough times rather, would begin for her. But she would emerge from them, recording many brilliant and compromising albums, up to and including 2021's She Walks in Beauty with the Bad Seeds Warren Ellis, um, finished off after she'd been very, very ill um, in intensive care with COVID-19. Mm -hmm. yes. um, today's book is Faithful by Marianne Faithful with David Dalton. Now, this is a book that I read um, again when um, just before I interviewed Marianne in 2019, and it's just stuck with me. Um, Vashti, you were nervous when I suggested this book to you. Yes. <laughs> Tell me why you were nervous. I was really nervous because it's about a time and about people and about a music world that I turned away from so comprehensively in um, 1968. Uh, and I kind of didn't want to go there again. But, it, and it took me a few weeks of ha having the book. I sent off for it and I, I had it and it was sitting on the shelf. 
going, you've got to read me, you've got to read me, you've got to read me. I am just being so chicken about this, you know, I've got to, I've got to do it. And, uh, and so when I started re uh, reading it, I think I wrote to you to say, I'm really enjoying this. I'm, I'm really loving this book. Um, and it's been really good in lots of ways of, of laying a few ghosts for me. Um, but it's just such a such a, a great, detailed, incredible. It, it, well, for me, it felt like a, a masterpiece of, of detailed paintings of people and portraits mm. and the self-portrait. I uh, I got quite lost in it, and I didn't mind so much as I thought I would about reading about those people that I'd left behind. I know you write a little bit about this in your book. But could you tell our listeners who haven't read your book yet, of course yet, <laughs> what, your, what your experience was as somebody who came into the world of Andrew Lou Golden and the Rolling Stones in the 1960s? It's very hard to, to, to say it in a few sentences, but I've tried to in the book because so many people have written so, so much about that time. And I, I wanted to sort of just try and condense it into a few words. But I think what I said was, although I was very shy, I didn't speak to anybody. Nobody really spoke to me either um, in the studio. But what I said was it was just a wonderful feeling because of the way I was uh, so shy, but even but still quite rebellious in my own way to be around something quite world-changing and to be a small part of the big fuck you. And that's how it felt, that I was just sort of on the edges of this wonderful time of change and of young people grabbing it all away from the adults, away from, oh, those terrible, boring people and making something <laughs> for themselves. It was just... it was a great experience it uh i mean for, from the things that happened after those first recording sessions it wasn't so great very different to how marianne describes it in her book mm. because she's very much talking about the people making incredible portraits of the people and i was surprised how sympathetic they were as well i thought that she would be much fiercer about people but actually after I'd finished the book, I came away feeling, actually, she's been quite kind. <laughs> quite kind about people that she really could have been very unkind about or very angry about. Um, and I think, she, well, in, in your interview with her, when you referred back to the book and she said, yes, I was angry then. Mm. It didn't come across like that to me. That's I, interesting. Um, I, I think... She talks about her, her darlings, you know, mostly. Mm. And some of the people who weren't darlings, she describes really well. You came into that world um, through somebody you heard you at a party, didn't you? Yes, yes. Can you tell everybody about how that happened? Yes, it was a, um, a party given by an actress friend of my mother. Um, it was the, the most incredible party full of, full of uh, people off the stage, people who had once been famous and... And amongst them was a, a woman called Monty Mackey, who was a, an agent, a, a Mayfair agent. 
I sang a song um, reluctantly. I didn't want to be there at all, but I sang this song. Didn't think anything of it, but I had a call the next day to say that Andrew Lugolden wanted to meet me. Uh, why? <laughs> um, because he had already brought the stones to such incredible success and, and also Marianne Faithful's As Tears Go By. I thought, what, why, why does he want to see me? But it turned out that she had left his management. And the story went that I was a replacement for her. He has denied that since, but that's the way that the press picked it up. That uh, I had a, he gave me a song uh, written by uh, Mick Jagger and Keith Richards, Something's to Stick in Your Mind, was my first single. And the press took up this story of me being a dark haired um, version of Marianne. And that was the first I knew of what was happening to me, that I wasn't just me. I wasn't a songwriter. I wasn't a singer in my own right. I was just a sort of shadow mm. following on from Marianne. And it has haunted me all of my life, of course, of being compared to her when I didn't think I was anything like her at all. So you've talked about you know, these incredible portraits, and I agree with you, you get the you know, these figures coming to life, like Andrew Lou Goldham, members of the Stones, um, Bob Dylan, who she meets kind of early on, um, all these different characters. Were the portraits that you recognised, people that you'd met that you, you know, thought, oh, yeah, I remember that? <laughs> yes, well, certainly in the first part of the book, uh, there are people that I knew but didn't know. And so that was quite, that was the thing that I was most... Uh, nervous about really was reading about those people and having to remember them when it wasn't quite so great at the time but her descriptions of people has really it's kind of helped me really to to understand them more anybody in particular i think the the young aristocratic people that she became involved with that Mick Jagger um kind of adopted all of those people I had known through a friend of my then partner uh, who was the son of a, a lord and 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 the, the the circle of people that he introduced us to uh, I remember them so well but I didn't know any of them really closely in any way mm. so to see their names sort of brought it brought it all back um, um and yeah I, I think it's going to take me a while <laughs> to to move out of it again you know because her, her book has brought me so closely into into my memories how how was it to find out about Marianne as a a person herself really what did. do you think of her character her personality <laughs> well <laughs> Well, uh, well, of course, uh, totally admiring of her. I think I always was. I was terribly envious of her way of being able to deal with that world, although clearly she didn't. And it was only through epic amounts of drug taking that anybody really coped with it, I think. Mm. And that, that comes across so much in the book that that was how 
people coped and uh, carried on mm. <laughs> and, uh, and made this incredible music. Uh, could they have made it without? Who knows? I don't know. Yeah, there's um, there's a lot of trauma in this book. You know, in yes. women are often not necessarily described, but sort of presented as, you know, people go, you know, going through difficult times, and they're sort of seen as dispensable by some people as well. Yeah, yeah it's a yes. side of the '60s that still doesn't get talked about a lot. You know, um, you know, when you, general narratives of the '60s are, oh, the pill came along and women became free, and it's like, well, no, women. No. Start, were seen as, you know, sexualized beings in a different way, actually, which brings a lot yeah. of things that aren't freedom. Um, you know, her beauty is seen as a sort of, you know, thing that holds her back as well. I thought that was really interesting. That she's seen uh, in a certain way because of her beauty. Because she's so beautiful, yes, and the, the way she was treated by the police and the press is uh, the way that she describes it is is totally heartbreaking. Um, that she came through all of that mm-hmm. uh, what can you do but just sit back and think wow what an amazing person really and and also the fact that this book ends in the early 90s mm. and it's 30 years since then you know that, that she's had this huge life ever since then yes she had that huge life in the book yes she's had another huge life since and i i, I love that about her Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's lots of details earlier on that people wouldn't have known. The things that she was going through when she was a pop star, um, yes. you know, in early adulthood, you know, she has an abortion after she has a fling with Jean Pitney. She gets married very quickly, then has a child. You know, there's all this stuff. You know, you know, your jaw is, you know, on the floor. And um, obviously, later in the sixties, she also, you know, loses a baby seven months mm. into her pregnancy. You know, people talk oh. about these, you know, women who are you know, these malign influences on men and they're going through these <laughs> dreadful things. Terrible, um, I wanted terrible. to ask you if there are, you know, sides of the 1960s here that are talked about uh, or written about that you haven't read about before. Any elements that leapt out to you that you found interesting? I, t- I found it all completely fascinating, because, but it wasn't that I didn't know. It wasn't that I wasn't aware mm. throughout the 60s. I think into the 70s and 80s, I was away. I, I had no idea about anybody or anything that was happening in the music world. And 
And so that's really interesting to me. Although, actually, I suppose because I wasn't there, it's slightly less interesting to me now to read about the later bits in the 70s and 80s. Um, because I didn't know any of those people. And mm. uh, I, I didn't know that life at all. Um, you know, her life in the 70s becomes very dark, obviously, you know, Famously, you know, she becomes a drug addict and is homeless yeah. for quite a period of time. And yeah. Yeah. but she gets through that. She gets out of that somehow. Um, yeah. You mentioned earlier on, um, you know, this is a life you, you know, ran away from. Um, mm -hmm. Why did you run away from it? Why did I run away from it? It didn't accept me. Um, I, I often think about it, and this book has made me think about it more. That if I had been able to take acid if I had been able to take a lot of drugs my life would have been very different I would have been accepted and I, mean, I have a an image in my head of um, going to somebody's flat in I think it was early 1968 and there was it was a, a, a darkened room with the curtains closed and candles and a circle of people sitting on the floor and somebody passed around a joint. I've had a really bad experience with my first, my first ghost at, at smoking anything or having anything was um, I tried to get out of a window three floors up and uh, you know, I, I then didn't smoke or drink anything for a very long time after that. I was so frightened. But anyway, I was in this room with a circle of people on the floor and the joint was coming around, and my partner Robert and his friend John were opposite me, and it, it, oh, it got to them. They weren't smokers. They didn't even smoke tobacco, but they tried it, and they coughed, and I thought, well, good for them. That's really brave, and it got to me. I passed it on, and that moment labelled me in a way as being, being the uncool, the outsider, the isolated. And so that circle has become emblematic to me of the circle I could never enter because right. I was I was not there. And yet a psychiatrist that my parents sent me to said, Oh, you don't need to take drugs, dear. You're already there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll run with that. That's okay. <laughs> It is interesting, though, thinking of, you know, that's how you had to be part of that world and that time and that yes. circle. You know, there's been some really interesting stuff I've read recently. There's a very interesting book um, by Ian Winwood called Bodies, which has come out, um, published by Faber and Faber this year. And, um, and it's about how, you know, to be a creative person, you're expected to, you know, part of it is about this anyway, you're expected to have this crazy indulgent side of you that has, goes into drink or drugs or yeah. you know, chaos through yeah. substances. Chaos through mind expansion. And uh, yes, that didn't... No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you know, you, your trip to, you know, the, you know your two-year journey by horse and cart was not influenced by any drugs at all, which some people might be surprised by. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was, it was definitely an escape an escape but but you know well I don't know I don't think I really knew what I was doing at the time I just did it 
Now, I read this book, as I said, shortly before interviewing Marianne, but um, it was interesting reading it in the last five years or so, because in the last decade, really, there have been so many books by women about you know, alternative sides of um, you know, pop movements or their lives. Um, the book Girls Music Boys by Viv Alpatine, who was from the punk yeah. era, was you know, yeah. brilliant and raw and all this stuff, really interesting. But it made me think mm. reading this from 1994, and you know, I know it's ghost written, and I don't think that really matters because the story is so beautifully done. Uh-huh. Um, you know, there are, there may be lots of other books, you know, lurking in the, you know, the annals of of um, music writing that are as raw about um, you know women's experiences. Um, I'm if anybody's mm. listening or has more to recommend, do let me know because I'm uh, excited to to read them. Um, you know, are there any, you know, um, other, you know, books about women or stories about women from that time that you've come across um, that have surprised you? Or is this something you have generally just tried to put to one side? Oh, definitely avoided. I'm sorry. I know it's it's not great. Um, I think until uh, Diamond Day came out again, it was recorded and released in 1970, and then it came out again 30 years later in 2000. And I think in those years in between, I wanted nothing to do with music whatsoever. And so my poor kids, there was no music in their lives. There was nothing. There was no music in my life at all until Diamond Day came out again in 2000 and then had a completely different generation, Mm. I think listening to it and understanding it for what it was, which was a document of a journey. It wasn't nursery rhymes for kids, as it had been said to be. And so when I had that great non-musical time, I would not have looked for anybody who was anything to do with music in a written form or even people. You know, I knew no musicians at all. I completely blotted it out of my life which is a terrible thing to do so this book is marianne faithful with david dalton um he was uh, a founding editor of rolling stone new york, new york times writer um did you ever consider writing with somebody or getting somebody to help you with the process and do you no. think it dilutes things actually if you do write a book with somebody else i i, I wouldn't um judge anybody else for doing it. I know I wouldn't have wanted to do it. I was terribly uh, possessive of every word I wrote. <laughs> um, I don't know. It, it's, it's, a, it's a strange thing. I can't imagine ever actually sitting down with another person to write something down. I can't even write songs with another person. You know, I've been asked <laughs> And, and I, I, I'm just way too selfish. You know, I've interviewed her several times now and her voice is there on the page. This her is this kind of yeah. sparkiness and fire and um, a sort of ferocity, but one I really admire. <laughs> Are there any aspects of Marianne's personality that surprised you in this book? I, I might have got it quite wrong, but actually she came across as much kinder than I thought from oh, the little I knew of her that she comes across as really very sympathetic to some people. Um, Probably so easy to say bad things about it. And I'm really glad she didn't. I don't like it when people do. Yes, the things that happened to me were in some ways unkind. 
everyone was so young and uncharted waters, you know. When you said about being unkind, the way that, you know, you, you know, recorded singles and they never came out and then your phone calls stopped getting answered and the the pop, you know, you did a couple of TV things and then nothing and that cruelty of the fame game. Oh, absolutely. And, And most people probably could deal fine but I didn't I, and that's another thing about Marianne that I was so admiring of that she kept going through all of that through all the terrible things that happened to her that would have well I know obviously it did it sent sent her onto the streets with no money and a terrible uh, a terrible time but throughout the, the 60s she 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 kept going and then coming out of it and making more records, I think, oh, my goodness, just, yeah. And you've never met her. you never come across her um, then or subsequently. I've never met her. And I would like to. I would like to meet her. But um, I think I've met an awful lot more of her through this book than I had before, which is great. And thank you. Thank you, Judy, for... Um, encouraging me to not be so chicken about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny I do spend I do spend time thinking about some of the female artists I interview who have had similar experiences with the music industry or with men um oh. our misogyny <laughs> various things through the years yeah. um and I just think god I'd love to get you all around a table you know uh-huh. you Marianne Faithful, Shirley Collins you know, oh, I'd, I'd absolutely love that. That'll be my dream. Maybe that's my big, uh, you know, one day a newspaper will let me do that. <laughs> Get you all out for dinner, mic you all up. Um, that, would be, that would be amazing. God, yeah. That would yeah, wouldn't it? Um, before we finish, can I ask you, you know, what have, what have we, we, you know, the collective we, what have we got right about the 60s? And what have we got wrong about the 60s from how we view it now? From how we view it now? I think I get annoyed... Uh, uh, people who think of the 60s through an Austin Powers film that you know that when for me it was nothing like that at all and I hate it being so ridiculed and the other thing is the whole hippie movement um, the way that it's portrayed it was amazing the pe- what people did the the, the the bathwater that was thrown out, but with a few babies as well. You know, it was, <laughs> we, <laughs> we did, we did change things. We did change things. And and a lot of the things that we wanted have become mainstream. I can't think of a single thing at the moment, but they have. Um, and I was doing a reading the other day and someone in the audience said, why didn't you go somewhere more exotic? And he meant, why didn't, if I was a hippie, why didn't I go to Morocco or go to India? Why didn't I go on the hippie trail? You know, it's such a, I said, what, you mean the Outer Hebrides aren't exotic? (laughs) (laughs) That didn't go down too well. But it it just made me, yeah, made me flinch a bit that, uh, the whole there's either the hippies or it's Austin Powers. There's nothing. Mm. You know, it was a wonderfully creative, positive time mm. in so many ways. And 
like I said in the book, I loved being a tiny part of a part of that. It wasn't just rebellion; it was experimentation and getting ourselves into all kinds of trouble. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, yeah, and pushing I, yourselves in different ways. You know, you you went up to the Outer Hebrides, you know, to try and embrace communal living, um, and you did so without a penny in your pocket, you know, yes. you were trying to do yes. something very radical and very tough. And, you know, and it was a response to, you know, tough times you'd had in your life. Yes. It, it, at the time it felt like the only thing I could do was to <laughs> get a horse, <laughs> get a little wagon. I had a dog and I had a boyfriend and put them all together and set out onto the A6 <laughs> make for the Hebrides. Um and it, it was not just about the to, for the communal living or anything. It was about a different life. It was about yes, finding yes. finding something different, so, something I felt was missing from my upbringing because I had been so sheltered. I think parents after the war really wanted to shelter their children from the horrors they'd been through, and in a way that wasn't so great for me. I felt there was something missing, and so that's what I went in search of. You know, when I listen to just another Diamond Day, you know, it's not, you know, the Vashti I've got to know a little bit in the last year. It's this mm. Vashti painting a world that is, is full of childhood wonder, as I said earlier, this sort yeah. of magical, it's very magical. It's um, a step away from reality in some ways. Well, it was, it was. And, and that that was kind of why I wrote the songs. I didn't write them to record them. I wrote them to keep us going and uh, to, to keep the dream going, to keep the picture alive. Uh, and that's what the songs came from rather than it being true. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, thank you so much, Vashti, um, for reading Faithful by Marion Faithful or David Dalton with me. And I'm sorry if it was initially traumatic and I'm glad that it has been a, a lovely process. <laughs> really good. Thank you, Jude. It's been very, very good. Very good indeed. Now, a few final questions for you. Um, firstly, are there any other books that you want to mention today that are worth us buying and reading about music? Um, yours. <laughs> yours. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Sound of Being Human. Yes, beautiful. Um, another one, our label mate, um, Jennifer Lucy Allen's book, uh, The, the, the Falcon's Lament. Mm. I really loved that. I just loved her descriptions of the way sound sound works, the way that yes. music works. Um, that's a very worthwhile book, I would say. And finally, um, we'd like you to recommend what I'm calling a book song, a song that you loved inspired by a work of literature. Giving you a free pass to be, you know, loose with a brief, Ashti. Well, well, yeah, very loose with the brief. Well, while I was reading Marianne's book, um, I had to keep going to, to YouTube or Spotify to, to actually listen to the songs that she mm. talked about in the book. And, and one that really got me was Ruby Tuesday, and I listened to that a lot. And then I saw, oh, Lady Jane. And I think I, throughout her book, well, through her book, I became very sympathetic to Brian Jones and to his music, mm. and the way that he plays. And in, on Ruby Tuesday and then on Lady Jane, I just kept listening to it over and over and over. And I thought, well, you know, that that could have come from a book. 
come from a story. It could have come from some kind of literary reference. Well, Lady Jane, was he did write it? I have just been, because I, I'm suddenly thinking, I'm sure there's some inspiration in it. Right, this is off Wikipedia, so you know I'm, I, I know I'm a proper journalist, and I'm doing this quickly live, live as we're recording. And it was written and composed in early '66 after he read Lady Chatterley's Lady Lover. Lady Chatterley's Lover, yeah. So he actually did. It wasn't just a link, you know. So there we go. Um, again, this is Wikipedia. I'm just exposing you all to my terrible um, research skills now. At the time, it was widely thought that an inspiration for the song was Jane Ormsby Gore, daughter of David Ormsby Gore, former. British ambassador in Washington, um, who later married Michael Rainey, founder of the Hung On You boutique in Chelsea that was frequented by the Stones. Here we are, this world of aristocrats and... <laughs> People, exactly, exactly. So we come back to the beginning. <laughs> and so Lady Chatterley's lover is in the mix. So yes, we're allowing that, Vashti. Well, we would allow it anyway, because it's you. Oh, good. Well, it's the most wonderful song and I just love the way it's played. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, thank you so much, Vashti, for coming on Songbook today. It's been a delight. Um, I love uh, your laughter and your rebelliousness. And, uh, and you know, you're just it's always a joy to speak to you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Songbook. You can find links to the books mentioned in this episode, as well as our Spotify playlist, in the episode description. Songbook is presented by me, Jude Rogers. It's produced by me and Alice Lloyd. It's edited and mixed by Dan Jones, and our music is by the one and only David Holmes. Thanks for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.